So I'm going to preach and teach this morning a word about brotherhood, lessons from Obadiah. Many of the prophetic books, uh, we are dealing with the the minor prophets. The prophets uh, are dealt with according to their length. As far as when we label them minor, it's just that they're shorter in scope. Doesn't mean that they are less important necessarily in their content, but a minor prophet is simply a shorter, less lengthier book than the major prophets. And so the minor prophets are primarily dealing with speaking to and preaching to, exhorting either the northern kingdom, known as Israel, or the southern kingdom, known as Judah. And so as we go through, we'll be able to tell, okay, this prophet is prophesying to this group, this prophet is speaking to that kingdom. When we come to Obadiah, it's a little bit different. Instead of uh, speaking directly to the southern kingdom of Judah or to the northern kingdom of Israel, He's actually prophesying to the nation of Edom. Edom. Perhaps you have heard of the Edomites. So he's not specifically talking to Israel. He's not specifically talking to Judah. But his prophecy is directed at Edom. There are different names for Edom in the scripture. Ser, Mount Ser, is also another name for Edom. Hor, the Horites originally had settled in the land, later known as Edom. In fact, if you go over to Genesis chapter 14, we don't know the exhaustive history of the land of Edom, this region that would have been southeast, this mountainous region that would have been southeast of Judah. But we do know we can get as far back as Genesis chapter 14, verse 6, Genesis chapter 14, verse 6, where we know that according to this text, it's the Horites who have settled in this land that would later be called Edom. By the way, Edom simply means red, red. And the Horites, uh, Genesis uh, chapter 14, verse 6, and the Horites in their hill country of Seir, there's Another word that we see for Edom, as far as El Paran on the border of the wilderness. So as far back as we can go was the Horites who had settled this land. But later on, they became absorbed. It was Esau and his descendants that would settle in the land of Edom. So when Obadiah is prophesying to Edom, he is prophesying to the descendants, to the descendants of Esau. You have these twin brothers. You have Esau, who was the firstborn. And then you have Jacob, who came out, who was um, grabbing at his heel. And the Lord is prophesying, speaking very directly, speaking the word of God through his prophet Obadiah to the descendants of Esau for 
a direct and specific reason. They were not very kind. In fact, there was a, a fight, an ongoing fight that had been going on from the early days of Jacob and Esau's birth. There is enmity between the two. They were fighting. And Esau and his descendants were especially cruel to younger Jacob. This could have been exacerbated, by the way, by their parents. You have Isaac, who in many ways was an aloof father and uh, had a favorite. And it's always bad to have favorites in a family. Uh, kids can tell when daddy or mommy likes a specific child more than the other. And the scripture tells us that Esau was, uh, was Isaac's favorite. And Jacob was born, as was Esau, to their mother, Rebekah, who tended to be a scheming mother. And so Jacob was the favorite of Rebekah. So you have, listen, you have an aloof father, a father who can be somewhat distant, somewhat not involved, picking a favorite, picking, picking his son Esau, and we'll see that these characteristics will flow from him into Esau. Of course, Esau has his own sin issues and is willingly grabbing onto this. And you have a scheming mother who is kind of behind the scenes trying to control things through manipulation. So she's trying to get what she wants through certain schemes and certain plans that she has for her sons, especially her son, Jacob. So there's this, there's this fight that goes on. And it's not only between Esau and Jacob, but it would continue on throughout the generations as their generations would grow. And out of Esau would come the Edomites, and the Edomites were constantly giving their brother Jacob's descendants trouble. It all started over a, a bowl of stew, Red stew. It wasn't Campbell's chunky soup, but we know that it was something that Jacob had made. It was red, it had lentils. Perhaps some of us in this room have had a good lentil soup. It's good on a on a cold day with uh, with some fresh bread out of out of the oven and some uh, some butter. Okay, but I digress. This was good stuff. And Esau is uh, coming back from a hunt, and he's famished. So we've got, this, we've got this order. We've got Abraham, Isaac, and Isaac has these twin boys, the older being Esau, Esau and Jacob. And, of course, the descendants of Jacob are what we know collectively as Israel. So Esau comes back from this hunt, and he's absolutely famished. If you flip over to Hebrews in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. says this. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. 
that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Bitterness. You know what could cause problems in families? Bitterness. Bitterness. Somebody is bothered about something that has been done to them. Sometimes it's been justly done, but they're still angry about it. Sometimes it's been unjustly done, and they are literally stewing over it. Listen, there are people that can't let go of things that have been going on there 30 years ago, 30 years ago, and they're still dealing with it 40 years ago in the past. Listen, there are people you can go into a nursing home and you can sit down with somebody who's 95 years old and you can still sense in some people the resentment or the bitterness of something that happened not just three years ago or five years ago, but 50 and 60 years ago. And so there's this root of bitterness, and if it's, if it's not dealt with, it can be passed on. You can see bitter fathers producing bitter sons and bitter daughters and bitter grandchildren, and this thing can spread, and it spreads into whole families and whole clans and whole groups of people, and it can even spread, as in this case, into whole countries, as countries, as nations begin to fight against each other. Brothers, you know, the Lord has a lot to say about brotherhood in the Bible. Taking care of our families. Being concerned about those who are related to us. Loving them. Treating them with decency and respect. Having a spirit of forgiveness. Sometimes this is very hard. Somebody says, but I was wounded. It's unjust. I was hurt. And they're still... They're still dealing with all of these things that come from the past. This was Esau. He was um, he was letting this root of bitterness. He couldn't get over it. Couldn't get over what had happened in the past. It was bothering him. And instead of dealing with it and going to the Lord in repentance and seeking the grace of God, he he did not. So he becomes verse fifteen that. This root of bitterness, it springs up and causes trouble, and by many, by it many become defiled. That no one is, here it is, here's the example of this bitter person, that no one is sexually immoral. So in the case of Esau, this, this bitterness led to sexually illicit relations. You know, he married different ungodly women. He did it on purpose. He was angry. He was bitter and he was unholy, it says here in verse 16, like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. So this, this birthright, this double portion, this inheritance, he comes back and he is hungry near the point of fainting. And there's Jacob and he's cooking this red stew, according to Genesis chapter 25, he's cooking this Delicious stew. And Esau says, would you give me some of that stew? So hungry. Jacob says, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll give you some of the stew, but you're going to sell me your birthright. And he's so desperate at this point, he says, okay, I'll, sell, I'll give you my birthright. Just give me the food, you give me the food, and I'll, I'll give you the birthright. So he sold his birthright for a single meal. Later he becomes bitter about this. He realizes he made a horrible decision, and he goes in later on to even get a blessing 
from his father, and his father doesn't even really have much to say. The birthright is gone. The blessing is gone. And so Isaac has already prayed over Jacob. He's already given him the blessing, and he's also received the birthright. For you know that afterward, verse 17, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. So he tried to get this blessing back, but he couldn't get it back. It was too late, and he found no chance to repent. You know how dangerous this is? He found no chance to repent. There are people, they have opportunities. They, God comes and convicts them and says, you need to repent of this bitterness in your life, this resentment. It's turning into rage, and it's turning into payback, and it's turning into isolation, and it's turning into all these things. And somebody's hearing the voice of God, and they're saying, I'm not going to deal with that right now. This person, this person hurt me over here, and I'm going I'm to just hang on to that. I'm going to keep hanging on to it. God's saying, you've got to let it go. You've got to forgive. They say, no, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not going to. So a little bit later on, they're listening again. The voice of God comes again, but this time it's not quite as clear. It's not quite as strong. The person resists. They stiffen their back. They say, I'm not going to listen to God. I'm not going to repent. And this is the person that goes through the, through the years instead of becoming softer and uh, more pliable becomes harder and more bitter. This is exactly what happens here with Esau. He found no chance to repent, though he sought it. Not seeking repentance here. He's seeking the blessing, though he sought it with tears. He's begging, bless me, but he doesn't want to repent. He wants the blessing. He wants the birthright, but he doesn't want to change his ways. He doesn't want to see his heart inwardly moved by God the Holy Spirit. He's not into it. And as a result of it, he produces um, a generation of bitter people, angry people, people that will not treat their own brother correctly. In fact, later, as um, Israel, Esau's younger brother, is trying to pass through after they have left Egypt, and they're trying to pass through Edom. So you have the children of Israel trying to go through Edom. They come and they ask Esau's descendants, can we pass through your land? We'll even, we'll even pay for it. We'll pay for any water that we take and anything that we, anything that we drink, we will pay you for. Notice what it says in Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. Numbers... Chapter 20, verse 14. So Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel. So now this is a descendant here of Esau. Remember that the descendants of Esau, if there's anything that we need to get from this, is the descendants of Esau are the Edomites. They're the Edomites. So now Israel is trying to pass through Edom. And this says your brother Israel, you know all the hardships that we have met, how our fathers went down to Egypt, and we lived in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians dealt harshly with us and our fathers. And when we cried to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. And here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your territory. So now the children of Israel are about to go through Edom. They're on the very edge of the territory, but they need to get permission from the king of Edom to go through. 
And they ask, please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through field or vineyard or drink water from a well. We will go along the king's highway. By the way, there was a major highway that went through Edom. They were known for their trade route, their their trading, their ability to gain merchandise. And um, they had tolls. So whoever was going through this king's highway, they could charge. And they made a lot of money from that. And they took pride in that. So anyone who comes through, they say, okay, that's going to be 10 bucks for you. And, uh, and you're going to give that to us. Next person, $10 from you. So they're making a lot of money. By the way, every time I go to New York City, I'm amazed at the tolls. And I think about all the millions of dollars that go into that city every day. I've been there many times over the years. And last time, I got lost. And on my way out, I went over the wrong bridge and ended up paying 20 bucks just to leave. And I was like, I wanted to turn around, but there was nothing I could do. And, of course, there's thousands of people everywhere. But this is what it was like in Edom. They had the king's highway, and whoever wanted to pass through had to, had to, pay, these, um, had to pay these tolls. By the way, they would also um, pride themselves in philosophy. Whenever you're in a port city or a city like this where you have a major highway, you get the philosophies and the teachings of the world that are passing through your territory. And so you're hearing different things and you're giving out different things as far as teachings and philosophy goes. But Edom, verse 18 in Numbers uh, chapter 20 says, but Edom said to him, this is the descendants of Esau, nice guy. He says, you shall not pass through. Even though you'll, you'll pay for the water, you'll, you'll pay for anything that you take, any food that you take, lest I come out with a sword against you. So the descendants of Esau say, we're not letting you through the king's highway. And if you try to come along the king's highway, we're going to go ahead and fight you. And you're going to deal with us. And the people of Israel said to him, we will go up by the highway, and if we drink your water, I and my livestock, then I will pay for it. Let us only pass through on foot, nothing more. But he said, you shall not pass through. And Edom came out against them with a large army and with a strong force. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory, so Israel turned away from him. So the Edomites say, you're not coming through. And just to show you the, our force and our military, we're going to send on our military. If you want to deal with us, you're going, to, you're going to fight with us. And so Israel says, instead of fighting, we'll just back off. We'll figure out something else to do. We'll go uh, a different way. These are brothers. These are descendants from the same family, and they're fighting with each other like this. No way, you're not even going to pass through our land. You can imagine the, the anger that might rise up within Jacob's descendants. Oh, yeah? You're not going to let us? You're not going to let us pass through? We'll show you. We'll come through. We'll fight. We'll have a fight right now. We'll see what happens. Let's throw down our swords and pick up our fists and let's, uh, let's, let's go to town here. But they didn't do that. In fact, the Lord tells Israel to be kind to its brother. Deuteronomy chapter 23, if you flip over there, Deuteronomy chapter Deuteronomy chapter 23, 
Deuteronomy chapter 23. Verse 7 says this. You shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. You shall not abhor an Egyptian, because you were a sojourner in his land. So he says, you're not supposed to hate your brother. You're supposed to remember that you were sojourners at one time in the Egyptian's land, and you're not to mistreat them either. So now we come to Obadiah. Many years have passed. Edom has become quite a nation, but they're still proud. They're arrogant. They've mistreated Jacob down through the years. David and Solomon were able to subdue them, but there had been many fights that had taken place over the years. And they continued to commit sin against their younger brother. And finally, they commit this awful sin. And God says, enough to Edom. And so he sends one of his prophets, one of the minor prophets of the Old Testament, with a message specifically designed against Esau's descendants, against the nation of Edom, and he condemns them for their pride. And he announces that they are going to finally and fully be judged. So here's the prophet Obadiah. He's coming with a pronouncement. He's coming with an announcement of judgment. God has had enough. God has seen the way that you have treated your brother over the years, the way that you have turned your back on him, the way that you have maligned him, the way that you have even viciously attacked him, and the cup of your sins has been fulfilled. The cup of God's wrath is going to be poured out. So notice with me, Obadiah, if you flip over there, Obadiah, there's only one chapter. By the way, it's the smallest book in the Old Testament. It's nowhere quoted in the New Testament. But it's an important book, and it's a prophecy here specifically against the descendants of Esau. Now notice what it says here, verse 1. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. So God comes to Edom and he says, you've exalted yourself. You've had a lot of pride in your very being, in your very soul. You have elevated yourself. And God is coming to Edom and he's saying, the Lord is going to humble you. Listen, the person who exalts themselves, the person who is full of pride. It's interesting. Um, uh, G. Campbell Morgan was talking about this very text. And he talks about how oftentimes we will, we will talk about somebody who, who comes up and, and talks about the sin of alcoholism. And we will sit there and we will be stunned. And, 
if we talk about alcoholism or drug addiction and all of its evils and people are stunned by, by those kind of things, although not stunned so much anymore. Or we talk about sexual immorality. And again, in our day, that is even waning. You talk about sexual immorality and people kind of just shrug their shoulders. But oftentimes you could tell a real good story about sexual immorality and people will be listening very clearly and on the edge of their seats as we're talking about the evils of sexual immorality. But when it comes to pride, when it comes to the sin of pride, there are many people who kind of go, well, I guess that's, that's a, a bad thing, I guess. I, I think it's rather bad. But it doesn't have the same effect as often when we talk about other sins. Listen, when we come before God, unless there has been at some point of brokenness in our heart, we are not saved. You can have all the intellectual knowledge you, you can know your Bible fairly well. But listen, if you're unloving, you're not a kind person, you're not, you're not kind to people, there's no love that exudes from your heart. When you think of salvation, you actually think more in terms of the decision that you made instead of saying, I, I have come to God, and the only reason I have come to God in my life Listen, the only reason I've come to God in my life is because he has so stirred my heart and so awakened my heart to this truth. There was nothing in me that would bring myself, me to God, out of my own strength. The only reason I've come to God is because he saw me and he stirred my heart and I was a proud person. And in spite of that, God came to me and showed me my sin of pride. And how much I need him. How much I need a savior. How much I need the Lord. See, a Christian talks like this. A Christian, a Christian talks in terms of, I need Jesus. It was Jesus who found me. It's not all this stuff that was done to me or stuff that I did. There came a point that regardless of what happened to me in the past by others, or regardless of the sins that I have committed, to myself and on others, I recognize it was the Lord who found me and delivered me sheerly because of his grace. And so a humbled person comes and says, I need God. And Esau and his descendants were saying, we don't need God. In fact, we're okay, we're secure, we have money. Now notice what it says here, verse 3. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock. In your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? So Edom was in this mountainous region. Salah, or what is known as Petra, is this incredible city. You can look it up in the highlands. And the Edomites in, uh, lived in this, in this incredible city that was cut into the rock. In fact, for many years, uh, archaeologists didn't know where this was. In the 1800s, it was discovered. People can actually go and 
travel today and see Petra, what we know of it now. So it's a city on this high elevation. It was the capital at one point of Edom. And the only way into the city was through this, and still is through this, Sikh, or Sikh, which is a small gorge or canyon that is cut into the rock. It's this natural gorge that is cut into this rock. And so if you want to get into the city, you have to go through this uh, walkway that's about a mile long. And on either side of, of, this, uh, of this walkway are these huge rock faces that extend into the skies. The thing's only about 15 feet wide. And so the only way into the city is you have to walk through this pathway, through this rock, and after about a mile of walking through it, through its twists and its turns, all of a sudden it opens up, and there is the city of Petra with many of its buildings, temples, treasuries. They have found homes that are cut into the rock. And so just a small group could defend this city. It was sitting up high, and it was sitting in the clefts of the rock. You had to go through this gorge. You had to go through this rather large crevice in order to get to it. So if you had a small group of men who were on either side of this thing as people were coming through, even if it was a large army, they could handle them because you could only, you could only fit so many people through. And so the prophet Obadiah is saying, you who sit in the clefts of the rock, you who sit in the hilltops, you who sit in Petra, you think that you're not going to be brought down to the ground. You think that you are powerful. You're trusting in your defensive position. Notice verse 4 here. It says, it says this, Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though, you, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. So the Lord is saying through Obadiah to Edom, the descendants of Esau, he's saying, I'm going to bring you down. You sit up there on the mountaintop. You think you have a great defense. You have a fantastic military. You are powerful among the nations, and you are trusting in that. And you think that because you're so powerful and you're so large that nothing can happen to you, and you think that even if a strong army comes to try to invade you, you will cut them off. You are trusting in your own strength. Sound familiar? Here we are in this nation. We have a strong military. How many, how many times do we hear people talk about our strong military and thank the Lord for our powerful military? The danger is when we begin to trust in that. That becomes the focus of our trust. We begin to say, well, that's what's going to save us in the day of trouble. It's our defensive position. We've got all these satellites and we've got these nuclear warheads and we've got these planes. We've got these incredible ships. We're okay because we're more powerful than the nations around us. That's exactly what's going on with Edom. They're saying, we don't need God. We're militarily strong and powerful. We're okay. Now notice what he says here. Verse 5. He says, if thieves come to you, if plunderers come by night, how you have been destroyed, would they not steal only enough for themselves? He's saying judgment is coming. But if a thief comes, he only gets what he wants, and then he leaves. He doesn't clean you out completely. 
He might come in for your money. He might come in for some of the things that you own, but he won't take everything in your house. Can you imagine if the thief did that? It'd be some sleeper, wouldn't it? Wake up in the morning. There I am with Crystal laying in bed. We wake up. First thing we notice, our mattress is gone. That'd be a little odd, wouldn't it? And uh, I said, boy, boy, hard night's sleep. And then I realized my pillow's gone. Tough. Then we look up, our toothpaste, everything's gone. Listen, this is what God is saying. Look, if a thief comes, he only comes for what he wants. He doesn't take literally everything from you. Now notice what he goes on to say. He says, if grave gatherers come to you, would they not leave the gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasure sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. You know what he's saying here? You're trusting in your alliances. We're strong. Not only are we in a strong military defensive position, but we have alliances with other nations. And he is saying, Edom is saying, hey, look, not only are we strong, but we have all these treaties. We have it all worked out with these other nations. They're our friends. So if anyone comes to try to destroy us, we'll be okay because it's not just us in our defensive position, but it's also our friends who will come to help us because we have all these different alliances figured out. Sounds like today. People say, well, uh, we're strong, but as long as we have uh, this friend, this, this nation... This waterfall, as long as we have this nation as our friend, we're in alliance with this person or this group of people, we'll, we'll be okay. God comes to Edom and he says, no, no. He says, listen, the people you think are your friends, they're going to trick you. They're going to deceive you. Why? Because of your pride. So you're trusting in all that you have. And you're trusting in the alliances. You have these alliances with these nations. And you're saying, we're going to be strong because we, we have this agreement. See, we have this agreement between this nation. They have our back. We don't need God. We don't need God. We're not crying out to God in humility. But what we need is strong defense, strong military position. And we also need strong alliances with other nations. And as long as we have strong alliances with other nations... You don't need God, we'll be okay. Something that should concern us greatly. We hear a lot of talk, and thankfully so, about a strong military. We hear a lot of talk about freedom, capitalism, praise God. We hear a lot of talk about not starting wars. Yes, good. We don't want to try to start wars. In fact, America should never be on the offensive, trying to pick wars with other nations. The only time we should be in wars is defensive wars, wars where we're going in and delivering people from Hitler, or wars when our nation is attacked. We defend and we protect ourselves. But we don't go over to some nation and say, we're going to just pick a fight with you. The problem is, here's what we're not hearing a lot of. 
We need to repent. And we need to get back to God. I, I, I thank the Lord for the Lord raising up politicians, I pray, that will preserve our freedoms in our nation, that will do a good job of protecting us and defending us, making sure that we have free speech. And we've talked about all of these things. But let me tell you, it's all useless and it's all going to come to nothing unless we wake up and we receive a clarion call from the Lord that says you need Jesus. He's the only way. He's the only truth, and he's the only life. And the only way that you're going to have success is if you stop trusting in your defensive and military positions, which will avail you nothing if God is against you. And it doesn't matter, America, or whatever nation it is, what alliances you have. You say, well, I have this treaty with this group, or we're part of this group of nations, and they're going to protect us. Listen, it could all be undone in just one moment of time. What we need to hear is this. Yes, we need a defense. Yes, we need to be protected. Yes, we need to be concerned that our houses are not robbed. Yes, we need a strong police force. Yes, we're concerned about mob rule. We're concerned about all these things. Yes, we're concerned about the demonic influence of globalism, and it's demonic. It's straight from the pit of hell. This idea of no nations, we're just all going to be kind of this one global market, very, very dangerous. But unless we hear a call from the Lord that says, wake up, and there is a very strong sense in our nation that people are saying, but we've got a strong military. And we've got good alliances, so we'll be okay. It's a very dangerous and precarious position to be in if that's not coupled with, let's humble ourselves and turn to the Lord. Let's humble ourselves and turn to the Lord. Let's humble ourselves and turn to the Lord. Because of pride, we will be brought down. It's happened in every nation in history unless we turn around and not just beef up our military. Unless we repent of our sin of self-sufficiency that says we're okay by ourselves and we've got really strong leaders. It's a very dangerous position to be. Now I want to close with this. We didn't get through the whole book of Obadiah. What a surprise. Okay, so let's let's go through... Um, <clears throat> the last couple of verses here. He says this in verse 6, um, how Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out, all your allies have driven you to your border, those at peace with you have deceived you. Not those of your enemies, listen to those words, let those words sink into our souls. Those at peace with you have tricked you, have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. The last thing he says is this. You're trusting in your really smart people. 
You're trusting in your military defense. You're trusting in all of these different things, the passageway where people are going to have a hard time coming in and destroying you. You have money. You have allies. You have all of these different things, and you even have wise men. You have smart men, and you're saying to yourselves, we're going to put our trust in all the guys and all the women who seem to know what they're talking about, all the talking heads. All the people have all the, all the solutions, and boy, they can, they can come in and they can talk a good talk. They can tell you exactly how government should be run, exactly how a military should be run, how schools should be run. They can sit there with all the answers, blah, 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 and they talk and they talk and they talk. God says, I'm against them. I'm against them because they're proud. They think that they can do it without me. And no man is wise unless he has first hit his knees and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ to be his Savior. You want to be wise? You've got to hit your knees. You want, to, you want to exalt yourself and be proud? You want to follow, you want to follow the dictates of man and, and of, of man's wisdom? God says, I will, I will bring down the haughty. You know one of the things that the Lord hates, the Bible says, is a haughty look. Eyes that are haughty. I'll bring them down. See why we study the minor prophets? It's a message for us. Because this message is not just to Edom. We have seen the test of history. It has been true of every empire and of every nation that puts its trust in men. They will be brought low. Well, let us put our trust in the Lord. Let us come together and exalt his name. Let us pray that the Holy Spirit would breathe on us. Listen, there's a sense of sleep that has come across this land. You know now it's up to 25% that people are saying we're not even affiliated with any religion. Just in the last eight years, that's up 8 9%. We're just giving up. And you can tell many in the church are kind of going, and this is exactly what the Lord prophesied would happen. The church is going to get sleepy. It's time to wake up, and it's time to trust in the Lord. Amen? Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord. We thank you for your power. Lord, we ask you that you would um, you would wake us up in this in this urgent hour. Lord, I even pray for our president that you would drop him to his knees. Lord, I pray that you would use him in a profound way for your glory. But I pray, O oh Lord, that you would make him a praying man dependent upon God. I pray for all the Congress people and men and women that are in office. 
Lord, that you would bring about prayer in our capital, that you would bring about prayer in our cities, and that you would first start with prayer in our churches. Jesus, we can pray for everybody else, but if we're not praying, God, there's something wrong in our own heart. Lord, if we're always trying to think of just man-made solutions and not thinking about it's God who has to be behind this all. It's God who exalts a nation. It's God who sets low a nation. It's God who exalts a people. It's God who lays down or sets down a people. It's God who exalts a person. It's God who lays down a person. There's no person that is more powerful than you. There's no government that is more powerful than you. And Lord, even though Edom said, hey, we're high, we're lofty, we're in a safe position, we're okay, we've got it all, we've got money, alliances, we've got everything. Wise people, Lord, you brought them low because of their refusal to repent. Lord, I pray that we'd even become afraid of trusting men and that we would fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord, not the fear of man. The fear of man is a snare. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we pray that we would pray that, that we would fear God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.